the liturgical sense of the readings at Mass. During this Holy Week, I would like to turn to another event that all of the Gospels share. Although Simon Kepta has historically endured a great deal of criticism due to him denying knowing Jesus, we should take a moment to return to the scene where he and the other apostles made a promise to never leave the Lord's side and glean from it what we might say about the liturgy in light of that discourse. Let us take a look at the text first from Matthew chapter 26 verses 31 to 35 which is also recorded in Mark chapter 14 verses 27 to 31, Luke chapter 22 verses 31 to 34, and John chapter 13 verses 36 to 38. Matthew account reads, Then Jesus said to them, This night all of you will have your faith in me shaken, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be dispersed. But after I have been raised up, I shall go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him in reply, Though all may have their faith in you shaken, mine will never be. And Jesus said to him in reply, Amen, I say to you, This night, before the call crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I should have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then the text says, And all the disciples spoke likewise. According to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Simon Peter made two very emphatic statements concerning his fidelity to the Lord. These two accounts also inform us that the other ten apostles, Judas Iscariot not being present, concurred with Peter by speaking likewise in declaring their fidelity. The attempt being made here by Christ Jesus was to prepare his remaining 11 apostles for the test to come. While Judas Iscariot never had any faith to shake, in the hours to come at Gethsemane and up until Jesus returned to them in Galilee after his resurrection, the little faith that the 11 do have will be put to the greatest test that they have ever experienced up to now. Luke is the clearest of all the Gospels in regards to communicating exactly what Jesus expected of Simon Peter and moreover what he expected from every successor of Peter. Inasmuch as the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, Satan will never stop trying to do that very thing. That is, for Satan to sift a group of men like wheat is to test what they are made of through a process that bears the demonic fruit of division. In separation. In the Lucan account, Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed that your own faith may not fail. So we know that Simon Peter had been given supernatural protection and divine assurance for the upcoming test. Then Jesus said, And once you have turned back, you must strengthen your brothers. The overprotected Peter obviously did not appreciate the idea of him turning back or leaving the Lord alone. So he moved to reaffirm his fidelity by saying, Lord, I am prepared to go to prison with you and die. When Jesus replied to Peter by telling him that before the cock crows this day, you will deny me three times. He was not speaking in a way that should be construed as being demeaning, pejorative, or alarming. Remember, Jesus had just told Peter, I have prayed that your faith may not fail. So Peter's 
three denials are in no way related to any personal failure of faith. On the contrary, all that Peter could have inferred from this prophecy slash command was that despite the good intentions of his heart, he would indeed turn back and once he did, he must strengthen those who were weaker in faith. As Psalms 30 verse 7 sings, Complacent, I once said, I shall never be shaken. Earlier in John chapter 13 verse 30, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you for only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I told the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. According to the Gospel of John, before they enjoyed the Seder Passover meal, and after Jesus had given them a new command to love one another, Simon Peter had discerned the hour correctly and came to understand what Jesus had been telling them all along, that he was going to a place where no one could immediately follow him. Then Peter boldly asked the question that the Johannian Jews repeatedly grumbled amongst themselves about, Master, where are you going? The Lord tried to reassure the first Pope by telling him, you will follow later. But later was not good enough for Kepa. Master, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus discerning more of a desire from Peter to dictate to him rather than to cooperate with him, told Peter why he could not follow him now. Amen, amen, I say to you, the cock will not crow before you deny me three times. This was not the first time that an apostle tried to dictate to God by telling him where he could not go or where they wanted him to take them. According to the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus foretold of his passion to the apostles for the first time, Simon Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid Lord, no such thing should ever happen to you. Then there are sons of thunder and their mommy who days before Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem, had mistakenly discerned that he was about to reclaim the earthly throne of David and asked, Command that these two sons of mine, one sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. Now let us turn and let's talk about the challenges of keeping promises. There are any number of unemotional promises based upon the truth that can be made in a circle of grace such as our vows made during the sacraments of confirmation, marriage, and holy orders. These vows do not contradict the words of our Lord, who said, Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one, he said. Rather, the meaning of that command is to instruct us in the fact that it is not in our power to sustain or to preserve any promises we might make. What a promise is, is a created reality. Basically, it is a truth, essentially. And, and no thing outside of God can create a thing. <laughs> that is, it is not in our power to create truth. Only, only God can do that. Rather, it is only in our power to either cooperate with or to disobey the truth. Summarily speaking, it is to say that if a Catholic Christian promises to do this or to do that in conjunction with lovingly receiving a sacrament, in essence, what they are doing is merely confessing to always cooperate with the grace of God who sustains and perfects all things done according to His will.
While we are truly incapable of creating truth and keeping promises outside of God's grace, the beautiful thing about the Divine Symphony is that it is the one example we have on earth that God always keeps his promises. For example, Jesus promised that he would always be with us. And the Mass is evidence that Jesus keeps that promise to us on a daily basis. Jesus promised that if we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we would have eternal life. The Mass keeps that promise. God promised to lead us to the knowledge of truth and leading us directly to the real presence of Jesus, who is the truth. The liturgy uniquely keeps that promise. On the night of the Passover, God established the perpetual command that we must eat the Passover lamb or sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of our home. The Mass keeps that promise with us by having us eat Jesus, the Lamb of God. God promises to conform us to the image of a son. The Mass keeps that promise as well by having us become who we eat. Jesus promised that when two or more are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. And the Mass most uniquely keeps that promise through the priest who is in Persona Christi and the Holy Eucharist, which is the real presence of Jesus Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. These and so many other promises that God has made in his covenants with his people, the Mass most uniquely fulfills. The Holy Mass is the fulfillment of a promise made and a promise kept. The Mass is the only place on earth that we can go and bear witness of God fulfilling every promise He has made to His people. This is just one way how the readings at Mass this Sunday connect to the liturgy and how the liturgy is forming us how to live our lives in the world. Be in the world which you have received through the liturgy. I am David L. Gray. Visit me online at davidlgray.info for more content and context about the liturgical sense of the scriptures.